episode one. <laughs> this is no podcast music. Where's the NPR stuff? Marching band. Come on, man. The Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. You didn't think I'd miss the election, did you? Amy Coney Barrett, madness, Antifa, riots, saving lives, and a few laughs. It's all on the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft today. Now, no doubt you've heard about the Colorado shooting of a Trump supporter last weekend. We found out that the guy who shot the man committed an act of homicide was, using scare quotes here, a security guard for a TV news crew on the scene. Now, look, we're all adults here. And if you're not, I am the adult in the room, which is why I'm here. I'm here for you. And the bottom line is most of these kinds of stories that we hear, uh, the initial reports are always wrong. Always. So you need to not believe everything you hear right away. Okay, so that's what you need to know. But this does look like another confirmed kill for Antifa. And the reason I put it that way is because, as we understand from a report that was a few days later, that the so-called security guard, I put that in scare quotes, um, was a virulent anti-Trump person who was with a news crew that apparently was choosing sides. I don't know. I mean, that seems hard to believe to me. However, that's a report out there. Be that as it may, here's for the purposes of this program, what I want you to do with this information. You've got the Colorado information, and then you've got what happened on May 30th in Seattle. And it was a very similar case. There was a person, in fact, Shooter Rugi, John Karugi, who was a personal security person to a TV news crew in Seattle during the George Floyd riot of May 30th. They went down there to cover the protest, which quickly turned into a riot and could have been a mass casualty event Event had Shooter Rugi not been there. But there's a comparison and a contrasting that you could do with these two cases. One, the guy just shot a Trump supporter after he slapped his face. I guess it was it was just like a pat, at least according to what I saw on video. That's no reason to kill somebody. Okay, let's just all go there. Can we just all agree that that's no reason to kill somebody? You might want to back him off. You might want to say, uh, remove yourself from the situation. You might want to actually be a, a legit security person. There, There's a, a an idea. However, you may recall that Shooter Rugi, John Karugi, disarmed two Antifa rioters, black blocked out. They broke into a cop car, stole the AR-15s inside and started firing rounds at the cop car. At least one did. The other one was still playing with the gun when Shooter Rugi went over and snatched it from him. And it was you know, like a come and take it kind of a situation, except the guy was so dumb, thank God, uh, 
John was able to just grab the gun from him. He's going to talk about that coming up a little bit later in the podcast. He's a weapons instructor, former Marine, private security contractor, all around badass. That guy marched over and grabbed that gun after shots had been fired. I just want you to appreciate that. And in doing so, he saved a lot of a lot of lives that, that day. He will deny it because he says, I have no way of knowing. But you and I do. If we had a couple of Antifa dudes out there with AR-15s going nuts and what we know now they're capable of. So, for instance, in the Michigan thing where they talked about going after the governor there. I mean, three of the guys that were brought up on the federal charges were guys of the left. Okay, they're anarchists. And someplace around the bend, they meet up with crazy right wing people. But these guys were anti-government, anti-Trump, etc. Those guys in Michigan. So. It would not have been a good situation in Seattle that day. John Karugi is going to explain what happened. He said he failed that day. So you'll hear why he said that. Plus, before we talked, I said, hey, can you take a look at that Kyle Rittenhouse video from Kenosha, Wisconsin? You know, the 17-year-old kid with the AR-15 who went to uh, protect stuff at the, at, and then a riot broke out, naturally, of course. Because Antifa there, hey, you know what? If Antifa doesn't start anything, there's never any violence. Have you ever noticed that? Just bear that in mind as you go on about your daily uh, daily routine. Uh, Don't start nothing, won't be nothing. And Antifa does start stuff all the time. Uh, That's a subject for another day, which I'll get to. Now, here is a heads up, though. On my next episode, and for several episodes thereafter... I'm going to devote part of the podcast to bringing you the real story of what happened to Mike Strickland in Portland, Oregon, in July of 2016. And you say, Victoria, uh, who is that and why do I care? And those are excellent questions. And I want you to bear them in mind as I explain. He was the first guy Antifa started going after to shut up, to stop recording them, to snuff out, to silence Antifa is not anti-fascist. Antifa is anti-First Amendment, as I've said in my writings over at VictoriaTaft.com. They do not want you to speak, and they will beat you up to stop you from doing it. So just so you know that, that was before the riots at Berkeley. It was before the shutdown of all these speakers wanting to go to campus. This happened in 2016, leading up to the election. They just poured gasoline, a little Molotov cocktail action on everything after the November elections. But these bad actors of Antifa, they were doing this before Donald Trump was in office. Just so you know that, you need to know that. So I'm very passionate about this particular subject. I hope you'll agree with me that you need to listen at least to Mike Strickland's side of the story. He pulled a gun on these guys. They were, were going to beat him down because they'd already roughed him up before and they were going to come back and finish the job and get that guy out of their midst. Uh, Even though the rally that they were holding was on a public street and it was perfectly appropriate for him to be there, they came back. They know he was strapped because half those guys are strapped of Antifa and the anarchists. Those those dudes are all strapped. So but they knew they knew Strickland was because he's a gun. He's a gun guy. He's always been a gun guy. So he's got this licensed gun. He pulls it out and he stops the advancing mob. He saved himself. He never pulled the trigger. Never had his finger close to the trigger. And so what happened was the Portland prosecutors beat him up for Antifa. He had to go to jail and all sorts of stuff. He's in federal court right now, hoping that the the Supreme Court will grant cert 
to his case. We'll see. Which brings me to one of the things I wanted to talk with you about, and that was the Democratic shenanigans at the Amy Coney Barrett hearing. I always want to call her something else, so I have to actually write it down and read it. Amy Coney Barrett. The senators for the Democrats are fawning all over her children and trying to be nice to her because they cannot find out if she really was in a Handmaid's Tale sect, a little coven of witches, or even if she was with Denise and Brandy uh, at the Airbnb. So they were trying to be nice. By the time this thing airs, everything got blown up. If everything did blow up, I'll recut this, okay? But so far, so good. They're fawning over the kids. Oh, weren't they nice? And by the way, you want to destroy our health care of millions of people and get rid of their pre-existing conditions, don't you, you witch? Yeah, it's pretty much what's going on. Oh, by the way, Roe v. Wade, you Catholic. How dare you even be Catholic and be considered on the court, you horrible individual. So, Roe v. Wade. They're talking, seriously, they're talking about Roe v. Wade. I mean, like, what decade is this? Roe v. Wade is going nowhere. Roe v. Wade was an, a nakedly partisan, horribly decided case. And was it 1973? But it was codified, if you will, subsumed and in, improved upon, quote unquote, um, by the Casey decision in 1992. So it's not even about Roe v. Wade anymore. But that's what people know, because they actually teach that in school. Like, well, they don't teach the Casey decision. Uh, you know, so, yeah, oh, Roe v. Wade. They all know Roe v. Wade, abortion, abortion, abortion. So I was looking it up, and I said, okay, now exactly what did Casey codify? And, and she said it beautifully uh, during the hearings, and that was um, it affirmed the basic ruling of Roe v. Wade, so it ain't going nowhere unless you get rid of the Casey decision, which goes after the the uh, regulation of abortion by the states. So this is what I read in some fancy legal uh, website, which is like a legit website, not, you know, Wikipedia. So the Casey decision ruled that states may regulate abortions so as to protect the health of the mother and the life of the fetus uh, and may outlaw abortions of viable fetuses. I'm sorry. It's one of those, well, okay, so let me get this straight. So you, you, you want to regulate abortions so that the health of the mother and the, seriously, life of the fetus is protected. To outlaw viable fetuses from being aborted. But of course, we have abortion in demand in this country. I mean, you can go up to the penultimate day before you deliver and get an abortion. And so, I mean, obviously nobody's following Casey. And of course, I don't know all the case law. I don't know all the, the cases coming up through the legal system. But I do know that it ain't about Roe v. Wade. The same thing with the Affordable Care Act. And that is another thing that the Democrats have been harping on. You're going to get rid of my, we're going to get rid of our free stuff. And Ramesh Panuru formerly with National Review, now he writes opinion stuff for Bloomberg. So he, I, I don't know Ramesh, but I'm thinking if Bloomberg picked him up, he's probably a never-Trumper. So, but doesn't matter. He says that um, the 
there's no basis at all to assume that Barrett is going to overrule the ACA. There's no evidence that any of the five Republican appointees currently on the Supreme Court do, I read here. And he also writes, a unanimous defeat remains a possibility. And and what that tells you is there's a there's a misfire here. The the Trump administration is bringing the lawsuit. And in fact, they are in all likelihood going to lose this lawsuit on the uh, against the ACA. And what they did was they zeroed out the penalty. Uh, so we had um, remember when we took Trump got rid of the uh, mandatory buy health care or, or, you know, you're going to get it. You're going to be penalized. And he got rid of the, the mandate. But the thing is, is they didn't get rid of the mandate and pull it out root and branch. They did what they could, which was to zero it out. But it's still on the books as a tax. So there is every reason to believe that this tax that was upheld by the Supreme Court uh, in the previous Obamacare decision is going to be upheld again. Because guess what? Congress can tax. So they're going to have to come at this issue in another way. But that's what's going on. And they're probably going to lose. And I, I wish they could win, but sorry. I mean, it's a bummer. Now, something else that's a bummer. Uh, bad segue, but there you go. Who cares? Yelp goes woke, hoping some of the businesses rated on it go broke because they're all racists. Well, I mean, that's the assumption. See, and uh, what they wanted to do was get people to drop a dime on businesses that they believe are racist. They're not woke enough. And as I wrote over at PJ Media, and I'm sure we'll have it in the show notes, that uh, businesses are on their heels already because of the COVID shutdowns. And now they're going to go after... They're, I mean, basically, it's doxing businesses because you perceive them to be racist. Not are they explicitly, provably racist, but rather that you believe they're racist. Put it on Yelp. Now, I don't know who's going to get sued for this. Is it the individual person or is it going to be Yelp? But I can guarantee you one thing. A lot of people are going to be maligned. They called it the... Um, Business accused of racist behavior alert. So Yelp announced the other day, last Thursday, week ago, that it's going to be using now the business accused of racist alert to encourage reviewers to rate businesses on their wokeness. Quote, now when a business gains attention for reports of racist conduct, Yelp will place a new business accused of racist behavior alert on their Yelp page to inform users along with a link to a news article where they can learn more. You're never going to believe, believe where the news article is going to come from? Oh, you already guessed. The Southern Poverty Law Center? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Everybody's, everybody's a hate group over at the SPLC. Yelp, I write over at PJ Media, which during the uh, summer supported Black Lives Matter by encouraging people to use only black owned businesses, says they value inclusivity. And if a company is deemed racist or insufficiently woke in the eyes of a reviewer, they're out. So they will be excluded. Portland's Antifa woke mob 
Now, see, a lot of stuff starts in Portland. I mean, all the bad ideas pretty much start in Portland. We used to think, oh, yeah, Berkeley, bad ideas. But they've run out of room to do all the bad ideas. Now they're just embroidering their wokeness. I mean, they, the, so Portland has taken the mantle of the wokiest of the woke bunch. So all the bad ideas come out of there. This one is where the Antifa mob has now taken to Yelp and has written a bunch of reviews of all the places they hate. Here's one. In fact, uh, you know, having spent so many years in Portland, I don't live there now, but have, having spent so many years and being at these the steakhouses, ice cream places, beautiful bakeries, all of these wonderful touchstones of Portland cuisine. These guys have gone in and trashed their reputations, and they're keeping track of all of their trashings on an Instagram page as well as on Twitter. And of course, naturally, they know who I am, so they've blocked me from said Twitter account. But of course, I have other ones, but they still have, I guess they have all my sites blocked. Or you have to be, you have to be part of the woke mob and be on their special list to get behind the velvet rope to find which guys they're doxing, making stuff up about. So... On one, this is what they said. Okay, so I write over at PJ Media, the one of the many trashings of restaurants and stuff. I mean, some iconic places in Portland, they're just, ah, that's terrible. They're, they're terrible bosses. They're horrible human beings. I, that one guy I worked with that time, he was a horrible guy. Well, anyway, here's one about one of my favorite places in Portland that they decided to just totally trash. And I'm going to take the name out. So-and-so is rotten from the inside out. This is an actual Yelp review. Despite raking in enough money from exorbitantly priced and gentrified ice cream, they did not give money to Black Lives Matter movement. So when pressed about this, the owner responded by saying they're functioning as a nonprofit and could not afford to donate because donations had shrunk. When pressed about the lack of racial diversity in the shops, they claimed high numbers of LGBTQ plus employees showing clearly how anyone who differs from the straight white norm is tokenized. <laughs> that was a good one. Okay, let's get this straight. These people just kill me. I mean, they just kill me. So they're, I understand their prices are too high. I know this place, their prices are too high. They always have a line out the place. But people will pay that money because they just love this ice cream. <laughs> and then, But it's gentrified ice cream. It's gentrified ice cream. So you daren't eat it. How dare you? We only eat woke ice cream. And... Then you get to the nub. You get to the nub. When pressed by the owner about why they could did not give to Black Lives Matter, they said they could not afford to donate because the donations had shrunk. Now, I, let's think here for just a second. Why would donations for a nonprofit company that has been in business uh, shrink right now? Can you imagine uh, a one scenario under which this might be occurring? Why, why would that happen? 
If you said coronavirus, you have won the home game prize. And the other thing is, they did not give the Black Lives Matter. In other words, that is going to be the talisman that will be hung. What's the opposite of talisman? Isn't talisman a good thing? How about the bad thing? The, the, the letter, the red letter of they're not woke enough or are for racist because they didn't give money. So this is a, this is turned into very, very quickly an extortion racket for Black Lives Matter or for people who believe that they are doing the best on behalf of Black Lives Matter by going and shaking down businesses and, and saying, why didn't you give money to this place? I mean, Black, Life, Black Lives Matter is raking it in, by the way, raking it in. In fact, there's so much money going into Black Lives Matter that... Even murderers, rapists, and pedophiles are getting sprung from jail after they've rioted in the streets. Kamala Harris, or I'm sorry, Kamala Harris gave money to Black Lives Matter to help with getting people out of jail after being arrested for riots. They they don't just support them uh, obliquely. They do so blatantly. So they got plenty of money. You know, they don't need to get money from the, quote, exorbitantly priced and gentrified ice cream shop. The other thing is, you know, you might do whatever you can to hire minorities. In Portland, uh, there's it's, just, it's a bunch of white people. Okay, there are black people, obviously. There's a lot of Hispanics, depending on where you are. You know, the Willamette Valley and Hillsboro and that sort of thing and, and uh, East Portland. Talk about gentrification. Well, anyway, that's another story for another time. And so, uh, but there's, it's a white population for the most part. It's just overwhelmingly white. Where, where are you going to find all of these people that you want to have work at this um, exorbitantly priced and gentrified ice cream shop? Okay. Be that as it may. Even if they were hired, they'd be called tokens because when pressed about the lack of racial diversity, they claimed high numbers of LGBTQ plus showing clearly how anyone who differs from the straight white norm is tokenized. I can't believe you. You're so mean. And and I'm just a token. Isn't that an argument for not having particular racial quotas? Seriously? I digress. Here's back. I write here in PJ Media. I took my then high school aged daughter, not too far from where I am right now, uh, to a vegetable patch. And we brought along, of course, her friends. They were up, you know, hanging out with us for the weekend. And we were going to have a trip to the water. And it was going to be lots of fun. And they're black. And so I took them, not because they're black, but they, I took them to the vegetable patch. And we were getting some tomatoes and basil and all sorts of things. We we're going to make, who knows what we we're going to make. I have no idea why I'm feeding middle-aged kids or middle school-aged kids uh, tomatoes and basil. Um, well, good on me for doing that, trying to do that. Uh, but anyway, so it turns out that the dude who runs the joint is a racist. And he kind of looked askance at my daughter's friends. And we got the hell out of there. And the thing is, is that I just never shopped there again. I didn't go on Yelp. Yelp didn't exist then, probably. But I didn't go on Yelp and say, hey, this guy's a racist. No, I just didn't shop there anymore because I didn't like his attitude. And uh, I eventually he went out of business. Gee, I wonder why. I mean, who knows? Maybe he had other bizarro things going on in his life. 
that's not what's going on here. Uh, I mean, these guys want to dox and slander and libel businesses uh, just because on the whims of the people who, uh, let's, for instance, give you an example. On Twitter the other day, where all of the trash is, including me, I I was called a Nazi. Why was I called a Nazi? I'll tell you why I was called a Nazi. I was called a Nazi because I went on Twitter and, you know, these these, uh, Antifa people are on there. You just have to know who they are. They're they're totally Antifa, especially when they chime in and say, how dare the police arrest us for being in the or for being in the street or being on the sidewalk near a thing. Of course, later we are in the street. Uh, So why did they do that? That's terrible. That's horrible. Have you read the Constitution, Victoria? And of course, I told them, yeah, I mean, I don't have it committed to memory or anything, but I mean, yeah. But I also know there's something else that overlays it and that's time place and manner and for example i cannot go in the street and take target practice okay i can still exercise my second amendment rights but i can't do it in the street at target practice uh, in the middle of by the oregon historical society but it looked like they took target practice because they bashed in all the windows and they tore down a bunch of statues while the cops didn't do anything by the way so there you are. So this thing that makes Yelp feel so good about itself because it's woke and surely no one would take advantage and dox someone or make them look bad if they really weren't bad. Right. Right. Remember that episode of South Park in 2015 where all the business owners just went, screw you guys. Remember? So Cartman decides he's going to get involved. And he's going to bring everybody together. Because there can only be one leader of all the Yelp reviewers, and it was going to be him. Yeah, so this is going to work out great. Just like uh, those Antifa ballot harvesters I expect to show up at any minute. This week's episode of the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is brought to you by VictoriaTaft.com and our Antifa action figures. Just in time for your Christmas buying season. There's Radar from Soy Stream News, Miss Warlord, and our special collection of the real housewives of Antifa, Batgirl, the Antifa camp counselors, and much, much more. Look for my web store soon at Zazzle. Get the link at victoriataft.com soon and put your favorite characters on shirts, mugs, masks, stationery. Mock your favorite leftist. Collect all 12 initial characters and make a calendar. Enjoy these unique and beautifully illustrated figures Uh, Not the way they see themselves, but the way we see them. She's just feeling a little faint. She's fine. You probably didn't eat lunch. That's the problem. He's known as the weapons snatcher, urban gray man, and shooter Ruggie. And for those of us watching the protests and riots in Seattle in late May, consider him a hero. And if you don't know that, after this discussion with my guest you'll consider him one too. He was a man who was described by a Seattle anchorman watching his antics in real time as being part of a very scary, fluid situation. John Karugi visits the Adult in the Room podcast, and we appreciate you spending some time with me, and welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So we go back. Let's go back, because this is what everyone's interested in. May 30th in Seattle, you are the personal security for a TV news team going into basically what are riots in downtown Seattle at a time when 
the big story of the the weekend was the George Floyd killing by police officers in Minneapolis. So here's a guy, I don't know how long you'd been doing personal security, but was there anything you did to prepare you for what you saw that particular day in Seattle? (laughs) Uh, Joined the military when I was of age. (laughs) Um, That specific day, there were a number of things that I guess the best way to be call it were just layered things, whether it was mindset or um, making sure I had a good kid on me that I was going to have what I needed. Um, It was information beforehand, knowing what I was getting into and framing my mindset before I got into that situation that day and wholeheartedly understanding that, you know, these are Americans. And even though they may or may not be doing something I agree or disagree with, I have a job to do. And uh, I need to understand, you know, where my line is and what's crossed and what I can and cannot do legally. Was that hard? Uh, no. The thing I think people would say is hard about it is a thing that I think has fallen out of practice, and that's putting <laughs> putting mental bandwidth forth to do what needs to be done beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's preparation beforehand that really set me up for success. I I left that day with my phone on my seat, driving into the city, and it was playing uh, all the news feeds from the last few days of what was what's been going on in Seattle. Um, it was day before that I had packed my bag and everything for, you know, with thought of what I may, may not need based off of what I knew was going on there. Um, and I mean, it was just simple decisions and I used the Socratic method of decision-making to make those and it worked out. Give me out. an example of how that works. I mean, when you're, you're prepping your kit to go on a job, you're thinking, okay, what questions do you ask yourself in the Socratic method to elicit the answers to get the right stuff in your kit? Well, so the kit is a very big thing, but none of that matters unless you have a good mindset, right? You can have 10 different guns on a table. None of it's going to matter if the one person doesn't know how to use it, doesn't know how to use them all. So there are certain things that are absolutely basic to have, and basic is the most important uh, a form of protection, since that's what I was doing, mm-hmm. medical equipment. Um, I, I had a <laughs> I had a sandwich with me, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, because being out there for hours, you need energy. You, you need something to refuel you. I had zip cuffs if I needed them. I had a tourniquet in my pocket. I had a couple knives on me if I needed them. Um, I had water absolutely had water and baby wipes baby wipes will take uh cs gas or c spray right out of your eyes it'll wipe them right out so it'll help you out a lot yeah and it helps out for all kinds of other situations but uh and i had layers layers of clothing whereas like if i needed to change my hoodie because something happened i.e what happened um i could drop it and put on something else and look somewhat different Mm -hmm. um you tried to blend in that day Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I tried to blend in as much as possible, and I, because the situation that happened, technically, I failed my job. What? Um, yeah, I Why? I failed the no, I failed the job. I didn't fail what I felt was my duty, but I failed the job because my job was to protect my news crew, and what I ended up doing was I put them in more danger. But I weighed that decision based off of, okay, I'm going to do my job, but I also have a duty to do because this is who I am. And if I leave with just doing my job as the excuse, then I'm going to forever regret 
whatever comes of this. All right. Um, A lot of people only saw that little snippet that may have been seen on YouTube or on uh, Twitter. But you took the step. You took a step on faith and using everything, all of your wiles to disarm two men who had just stolen AR-15s from police cars. Now, no one would fault you for doing that. You probably saved a lot of lives that day. I mean, I guess. <laughs> there's, no, there's, there's no way to quantify something like that. We can you we can say know. that till you know till the crows come out and the rooster sings and everything, but there's no way to quantify something like that. Whatever these dudes' intents were, I don't know. All I know is they were escalating and they kept escalating. And then they had something. They got control of something illegally, Ill- illegally by federal law that could only allow them to escalate to a much higher place and a place that. I didn't want anyone else to be taken to. You're processing this all in your head as you're watching this. It's a, it's sort of like a movie, I suppose. In that movie, what did you see? Um, <laughs> I saw police cars, and I thought, like, <laughs> so I'm a very big reader. Um, so I have a lot of uh, literature influences in my thought processes. And one of them there was, what can I deduce from this? And that's Sherlock Holmes hands down it's police cars i know police cars uh, police officers carry rifles in their vehicles there's most likely firearms in those vehicles i need to keep an eye on that and i need to be ready for that do i and did i have a plan to do anything specific no because if i had a plan it was going to be thrown to the wayside the second something didn't fit that plan anyway so i kept a vague idea just like i normally do is if something happens, I'm doing something. And that something was initially hearing, I suppose, the shots from one of the AR-15s into what I understand was the police car, as well as another guy getting another AR-15. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, the first gentleman, if you will, fired <laughs> three rounds. And then um, minutes later, after I'd already taken that one, a second one pulled out his his rifle. You know what? I will say this. Out of this whole situation, there is one thing I am the most proud of. Okay. I have a time-lapse photo of the second the guy got the rifle in his hand to the second I took it, and it was six and a half seconds. <laughs> it was amazing. I'm not kidding. <laughs> that, I showed that to I, all my friends who like, were cops and <laughs> military, and they were all going, what? That is insane. You you were a hero. No, I don't think that at all. Yeah, you're not, not at a all. hero. Um, I think you're a hero. I think that uh, I've taken firearms from people before as an instructor and people mishandling them, something like stuff like that. That part wasn't new. Um, The the atmosphere, that was new, but I took control of the atmosphere and I I made it mine. Um, But yeah, smugly knowing and seeing that it was six and a half seconds, I was like, okay, yeah, that that's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> the first one. Tell us what happened in the first one. You went in after shots were fired from a gun that you went and took, but we didn't see that one on video. So you no. explain to us what happened. So the first one, <laughs> that one happened really, really fast, and there was more that was going on, actually. So I was standing on the corner, and uh, I was with my news crew, and that's the one I saw the police vehicles, and they were already burning, and they were getting into there. And you know, I made my deduction, and uh, I was keeping my situational awareness up. And I saw the guy go in, and he pulls the rifle out. 
And the second I saw that rifle, I yelled gun and I grabbed my team and I pushed them into a corner and I told them in a colorful manner to stay put. And uh, the reason being is in my head in that moment was protect them. That's my job. They That's what I'm here for. But I was also in no way going to stay with them because I knew I was going to get that rifle. I had already made that decision. It was easy. Um, I was going to do something. That decision was made, so I, it didn't hesitate me at all. So from the moment I put them in safety and I'm coming back around the corner, um, I'm drawing my pistol from my pack. And I'm looking up at this guy, and he's firing three rounds into the vehicle. I initially thought it was four, but it, it turns out it was three into the vehicle. There was a bystander taking video of it. And uh, he's yelling, clear the block, clear the block. And at that moment, like, everyone's running to the sides down the street and he's firing into the vehicle. So I, by the time I draw, he's done firing. He makes his way to a doorway of a Starbucks. I didn't know this. I didn't know it was a Starbucks at the time. I later ended up finding out by going back and revisiting the scene. And he was in this doorway of a Starbucks and I'm coming up with my pistol and I didn't make myself known until I was right on top of him. Uh, but he was facing away from me and the muzzle of the weapon was down. And when I started, you know, giving him command to uh, drop the weapon, he just got frightened and looked up at me, but the gun didn't come up. Mm -mm. So I immediately, with I just took it from him and told him to get out of here. Um, and I have, a, I have audio recording in a video of that part. Okay. Um, I'm going to be putting out a timeline video of everything put together. Okay. But uh, he did that. I dropped the mag, cleared it out, and uh, made my way back to my team with it. Um, but because it happened in ducked into the doorway of a Starbucks and everyone had split down the sides of the street, no one saw it. No one really saw it at all. Um, people, there was a, a few real close to the corner that had an idea. Um, but then they just saw basically a, a white guy carrying a gun, um, and the assumptions there were made. So you get the guy, he drops his weapon, you clear the mag, you're, you're stomping over to the other guy, right? No, no, that was maybe eight, five, eight minutes before oh, the wow. second rifle happened. Oh, okay. Well, so explain that to me. So after I got the first AR, um, and I took it apart, I took the bolt carrier, bulk carrier group, excuse me, out, and I took the charging handle out and put it in my pocket. Um, made my way back to my news crew, and they were already on the phone with dispatch telling them what was going on. And then I put the upper and lower with the parts still removed back together and slung it so I could I needed use of my hands. <laughs> and uh, so during that time, I'm keeping people away from me and my team at, as my team's on the phone with dispatch, and they're trying to get me to talk to them. And I talked to them enough to tell them what was going on and what we needed, but I kept giving the phone back because – I'm security. I do not give a crap what dispatch wants right now. Mm -hmm. I am in too much of a situation to deem that important to me at all. Um, so oh, several minutes goes by as we're there and uh, people are shouting things like trying to step up to me and everything because they see this gun on my back and now I have one uh, in my in my pocket because <laughs> I had to put my Glock somewhere. Um <laughs> So I I told them that you know that we need we need police here. We got vehicle we got the firearms, we got vehicles on fire, everything like that. And dispatch has said they're trying to get to you. 
So with that news from dispatch, a few moments later, I don't recall how much time was not a concern to me either. Um, I saw a crowd of people just come rushing down, uh, like past the corner I was standing on from where we just, where I just was with the firearms, uh, where I just took them. So I was like, Oh, okay. Maybe the police are pushing them back with gas. So I was like, screw this. I'm just going to go find them. I'm just going to go walk over there and give it to them. Cause I just want to be rid of this thing so I can do my job. Mm-hmm. So I went around, I told my team to stay again. I go around a corner and there was no one there. I have no idea why those people were flooding away. But as I stepped down there and went looking around, I looked to my left, and that's when the rifle came out of the back of the vehicle. Oh, jeez. So when it came out of the back of the vehicle and I recognized that, like, that's what this kid had, I drew my pistol from my pocket and I made moves across the street. And then, you know, you saw it on the clip. Um, I took it from him, told him to get out of here. And uh, I had my right hand had my Glock. My left hand had the rifle. Um but there was a rifle bag on the ground, so I cleared the area of people and I stomped that bag out so I could feel if there's anything uh, firearm-like in there as best I could. And once I determined there wasn't, I uh, cleared the cleared the rifle out, dropped the magazine, ejected any round that was in there, and uh, took out the parts again and went back to my team as I took it apart. Did those Antifa guys know what they were doing with the guns? As a firearms instructor, seeing people who didn't know what they were doing, I do not think so at all. No. Um, the one, the first one, he fired three rounds. He at least knew how to get it off safe and start pulling a trigger. But he was, that's the thing that I, I don't know what was going on. I'd love to talk to the kid. Um, he was messing with the rifle in that doorway. I don't know what he was doing. He was definitely trying to figure something out. Mm-hmm. I don't know what he was doing. All I know is I saw an advantage to press, so I did. Then you became the bad guy, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Narrative changed real quick. What happened? I've explained it this way, and I think it's the best way to explain it, is the moment I went from covert to overt, and I took that firearm away from someone they deemed to be on their team, I drew a circle around myself, outside everyone else around there, basically saying, I am not with you. I am not here doing what you're doing. And I do not agree with it. And I'm going to do what I can to stop the worst from happening. But then the worst part for me personally came when I got back to my team and that circle extended to them when I was trying to protect them. Mm-hmm. And now everyone was you know, the aggressor after us. But that's the thing, though. Um, a lot of people don't realize. I mean, I've had a lot of people tell me, oh, you should have just started shooting the ones that were coming at you. Well, that would have made me the aggressor. Then I'm committing crimes. It's a tough decision. If it was multiple people attacking me and like getting hands on me, that is a deadly force. It's a deadly threat because of the sheer numbers versus me. That's a different story. But I can't then turn, and this is really important, I can't then turn and become the aggressor. You can't. And understanding that uh, in our nation is very important because we are a nation governed by laws. This one on but, blocks. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it did. you were the bad guy because you weren't with them. Everything you had done to f- fit in with this crowd, all of a sudden, you, you may as well have just had a uh, neon sign on you saying, I'm a cop. They didn't know. They just knew you were a 5-0 guy. You're a bad guy. You're a guy with a gun. A lot of them thought I was a cop, yeah. And so here you are, and you have to walk down, I think you said it was three blocks, with your gun out. 
securing the area around your team? And had you ever done anything like that before? No. It must. I mean, I mean, it, what, what a sight. I've made, <laughs> I've moved with a team with weapons up. I've done that kind of stuff, but um, nothing like civil unrest within my own country. Um, nothing where the sheer numbers were just stacked against. Um, nothing where, you know, the rest of my team isn't armed. I'm the only one. Um, like there, there's only, <laughs> there's only really one thing I can compare it to. And it's, it's a video game out there was like, as I'm moving and doing things through the city that day, especially, um, more right after all that, after I got those firearms returned to the police, there were some things that happened that like video games just flashing through my mind. And I was just kind of chuckling as I was running through the city. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> does that mean you saw, oh, I could have shot this one and this one and this one. I'm sorry. In your head. No, I mean with the video games where people come at you and that sort of thing. And your your objective in a video game, I presume, is to neutralize the person coming after you. So you're Actually, it, it, it wasn't even anything like that. What made me think of it was, uh, I mean, I, I'm a dude. I'm, I'm a, I grew up on Nintendo 64 and stuff. I mean, I play video games. I play Xbox. I play. It's a game called The Division where essentially a, a sickness ravages the world or the country and so it's civil unrest everyone's out for their own um there's scaffolding falling down there's trash everywhere shit's on fire all over the place and that's what came to mind i was like huh this is kind of interesting i've uh i've seen this before and then uh when i was changing clothes which i had dressed to make sure i could do just in case Mm -hmm. And doing stuff like that, it made me think of another video game where it's all about stealth and concealment within crowds. And I was like, this is just, this is wild um, how it's, it's comparable. And I think that it, it was just, it was just sad that something like that had to be done with our, within our own uh, borders. Have you been back to other riots since then? Oh, yeah, quite a few. Still working. Uh, you working for this particular news team or other people or for business owners or how does that shake out? Uh, different things for different people. Could you characterize maybe one or two? And <laughs> <laughs> just give us a hint of what kinds of things you're doing. Um, security, security, surveillance, um, undercover stuff. It's like that. It's there's a wide world of things out there that go on and it like for with dudes like me and the guys I work with and everything we're out there obviously we need a paycheck right everyone we all need to work but a lot of us choose that line of work because there is some form of duty that's involved mixed with we're willing to be the ones to place ourselves in that position but then it's a lot of us aren't cops because we don't like having someone else run what we deem or how we uh, deem needs to be run something. So it's, there's a independence there and it's cause in the police forces and I am 100% with police, they have a job that I would never do cause it's just too hard. I, I wouldn't have the patience and the, mm. the compassion that they do. Um, I'd rather be able to make decisions on my own terms and accept the consequences of something I did, not what others, other people think. So in terms of taking those rifles, I fully accepted the consequences of what may come as I was drawing my pistol because I had already made those decisions. 
Um, and I just remember my wife telling me, be safe before I left that day. And I was like, well, we'll see how it works out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I heard she wanted to kill you when she saw the video. Um, well, at first she was really proud. Uh, she was like, "Yeah, that's my husband. That's that's badass." But then apparently it like hit her, and then she wasn't too happy. <laughs> I had called. I actually still had both rifles slung on me, and I had my pistol in my hand. And one of my bosses was calling me, and I ended up hanging up on him. And uh, I called my brother who was at home, and I told him, "Don't let her see the news." And he's like, "Why?" And I was like, "Just do not let her." And I hung up. Well, that plan failed. He didn't play it off too uh, too coyly, so <laughs> she recognized something was up, and she turned on the TV, and I was the first thing she saw. Thank you so much for listening to the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft. Shooter Rugi is my guest. He's John Karugi, and he's clearly the only adult in the room that day in Seattle during the riots, and he has been to subsequent riots. And I have a couple of questions about how these guys do their business. And I don't mean you, you private security guys. I'm talking about the Antifa folks who are clearly are fairly well organized. And I've looked through a list of things that they do during riots and before riots to set themselves up for quote unquote success. And I just wanted to run by a couple of things that I've noticed about these guys and see if you've noticed that too in your subsequent trips. For instance, uh, We've seen some of the antics these guys pull, such as fake seizures when they're arrested by the police, Uh, fake press members. That's a big one right now because they're not supposed, the police are not supposed to bother the press people. And then everybody's a press person. Um, They're fake. They block roads with their cars and allies driving vans and that sort of thing. Their weapons are, well, whatever they can steal, like that AR-15 or two of them. Slingshots with ball bearings, bear spray. They stage caches of weapons, rocks. They use vans of other organizations to block for them, and they call in bikes and motorcycles to block as well to keep the cops out of there. Have you ever seen anything like that in your life on the streets of America? I've seen a few of those tactics. Yeah, I have. Um... This is not a disorganized organization this is this is these are people who know what they're doing yeah but there's arguments to be made against that as well as as far as organization because honestly look at what i look what i just said it's just a few minutes ago there was some shit i was doing that video games just clicked right in my mind granted i i joined the military i contracted overseas like and i uh, i have the training and all that kind of stuff but Look what still flipped through my mind, right? It's mm-hmm. not hard to take one and put it into the other. It's yeah. not. It's not. Now, as far as organization, I have seen them display their organization to a level where I was like, OF, this is not a great thing right now. This is uh, this is stuff that I've learned in the military. Now, as far as I haven't seen any of the seizure stuff, I haven't seen any of that. That doesn't mean it hasn't happened, but then again, I don't. Also, I don't go out and research the stuff because I have I don't have enough bandwidth to give a shit about <laughs> what these individuals are doing because I know wherever I'm going to work, I'm going to be able to know what's real and what's not. And honestly, some of the stuff I saw and how they reacted to tear gas or OC spray and stuff like that, mm-hmm. I'm not scared of. I'm not. I'm not worried about them. To give an example. I was walking down the street with uh, my crew, and we just got gas. Literally. Gas grenade shot right into our feet. And I was just like, all right, guys, we got to move. I've been gassed plenty of times. It doesn't, 
Yeah, my so eyes get my my eyes get watery. My nose gets uh cleared out and cleaned out. Like, <laughs> thank you for that. That was that was nice. Um, but I don't get emotional. I still move. I still do what I do. I still breathe. Dudes that get trained and get gassed, it it becomes easy to put your mind and push through that. It's it's not hard. But I saw a lot of these people crying, weeping on the sides of the road, just in absolute tears on all fours. I remember one guy saying as he's wiping gas out of his eyes that I'm having a traumatic emotional experience right now. He, he said that? He said that. <laughs> And uh, I'm sorry, but you're a rioter, buddy. <laughs> yeah, like you bring it on yourself. No, you, you're gonna bring it on yourself. Um, just like if I didn't want to get gassed, I wouldn't have gone to work. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's not a big deal. Um, they do have pre-planning. They do bring gas masks. They do. I have seen signs held up, but the post of the sign was a baseball bat. The umbrellas is a is a big thing. I keep just going back to how hard the police uh, officers' jobs are. If I had a line in front of me that had umbrellas that I couldn't see, I would be terrified of a firearm coming up behind there. And yeah, some of those umbrellas are being used for um, so they can't use their air cameras and everything. But it takes literally nothing to take an umbrella from over your head and put it down in front of you. Um, all, and you can hit police with that kind of stuff. One of my reporters, um, she was hitting the head with an umbrella when we were getting mobbed. And uh, that was caught on camera, too. Um, I have seen a level of organization there. I have seen uh, sophistication in it. Um, but it is not all that. And it is not hard to quell it either why did it not get quelled in portland there was 120 some odd days of nightly riots no one had the political bandwidth to quell it what was going on no one had the political character to do it Mm, well there you go i don't get into politics but it takes it takes saying this may be my career but this also is the people and I need to put the people before my career. I'm going to make this choice and do this thing that's hard, that's going to be looked on disfavorably. And it's probably going to end my career, but I know it's the right thing to do. And I'm going to give you an example of that. I thought the moment I was drawing my pistol that I'm probably going to get fired for this. And I said, I'm fine with that because I know what I'm going to do. Whatever it's going to be, is going to be the right thing. And I did it. And if you can't take that lesson into your, your everyday life, especially as politicians, if you're more worried about your political career and everything, especially at the ages they are, mm-hmm. you've already failed. I failed horribly. And uh, I think two reasons that it's not done is that uh, everything is so easily uh, publicized across the world. Yeah. It, it's just too easy now. I mean, don't get me wrong. I agree with the First Amendment. Absolutely. But... There's also a downside to where dumb people have a platform too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, <clears throat> but it also the world is soft. Our country and our our citizens are soft, and they wouldn't be able to handle seeing the situation ended properly, quickly, and efficiently. And it doesn't mean killing. All right, um, it just means full force used in the right places and controlled to end it before it begins. Or actually after it begins, because before it would begin is illegal. Right. Did the uh, reporter ever buy you a beer? Everybody told her she should. (laughs) 
Me and her have a great relationship. She's awesome. Um, when things are opening up, back, I was gonna say I'll tweet at Brandy Cruz and ask her if she's bought you that. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I I could text her right now. Uh, um, no, she uh, she's awesome. Things over in Seattle are opening back up, and uh, we have plans to meet up and you know, I guess hang out and have some food and drinks over it. Excellent. Now, question. Kyle Rittenhouse in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Here's a kid, 17. Wasn't supposed to have that gun with him. He did, though, and he was there in Kenosha the night of the riots doing medic stuff and all sorts of uh, graffiti removal, and he was attacked, and he shot and killed two people, shot another guy. And I don't know if you've seen those videos, but when I saw the videos, I thought to myself, why is this not considered self-defense? Of course, that's what his attorneys, multiple, are claiming self-defense as you've looked at that what was your take on that situation first of all i wasn't there i wasn't there i wasn't i've never been there in that area actually in my life i don't know those people i don't know the full scope of their situation or anything and i know people trying to backseat quarterback my my exploits um just drove me nuts so i keep that in mind what happened in the videos and the photos and everything, even all chopped up, regardless of how well documented, does not tell you the inner dialogue or the inner thoughts and inner feelings that are going on between the individuals there. And that is what I absolutely believe. But as a, a, mar- a firearms instructor, a, a private investigator, a Marine, everything, how I dissect the situation is very minutely the very first decision the very first wrong decision made was when he decided to be there um now as far as people asking the self-defense question was it self-defense yes because he was not the aggressor now looking at it from a tactical perspective he ran off away from and this is a this is a big deal this is what this is one thing people don't understand When you are set to protect an area, uh, a physical structure or a person or something like that, you do not leave that area. You do not leave it for anything. That is the place you protect. He was there with, and I'm doing heavy air quotes, a team of people. He ran away from them and he ran off. Now he had apparently a Molotov thrown at him and then he popped a guy in the head. Now, Every that little situation between him and that person that has infinite depths of information and processing cognitive functioning going on and uh, stressors and adrenaline on both sides going on and decision making and prior experience that comes into it or if none at all is a big factor. That's a separate situation that could be that could be dissected in those ways. Me. He never should have left those people. He already made the one decision to be there. Then he made the wrong decision to leave. Um, he also accepted a firearm when he was underage from an over from a you know above age person, and said, "Okay, I'm going to watch this place." That was a terrible decision for that adult and then him to make. I can't imagine how his parents feel. Mm-hmm. I know if I was his father, I'd be looking for that man. And I'd be fully accepted and ready to go to jail. Now, the decisions he made 
to fire on the specific individuals he did. Well, he got hit in the head with a skateboard. I can't say I would have shot the guy either. Uh, you get hit in the head with a skateboard, especially by the trucks, the part of the skateboard yep. that holds the wheels. Those are solid steel. They will kill you. Oh, they, that's why enough. they carry them. That's what they use them yeah. as. Uh, they're weapons. And, uh, yeah. Then this guy that was acting EMT, and he goes up to seem like he's going to help, and then he draws a gun on him. Now, there's, again, all these little things that are going on in this one big situation. There are depths that people just completely glean over. If you're a medic, you or EMT or firefighter, they do not carry guns. You have those few individuals that keep them tucked away for that absolute just in case. But you do not go walking around with a medic backpack, a medic hat and everything. You do not tell people that you're a medic and you're carrying a Glock and then you put it on them just to get close enough to them. That, no, I would have shot him. Absolutely. I wouldn't have missed you. That is an absolute no. Every single EMT and paramedic that I've talked to about that or, or a Navy corpsman or army medic or um, all of them, that guy was an absolute idiot. He is the bane of their existence. He probably wasn't a real medic either, was he? I don't know. Just My like assumption. Some of those reporters aren't real reporters. I I don't know. I do not try to make assumptions. I try to uh, deduce facts based off of what I see in my prior experience. Now, in the situation, I can in a physical situation, I'm there. I can use my intuition and my gut brain to help me through all that. But I wasn't there. It's, I've only ever seen any of that on TV or my phone, I guess. Now he did display uh, a level of cognitive processing for his age that denotes that he has some kind of training even if it is just out in the woods shooting he didn't fire or raise his muzzle on anyone that didn't uh, threaten him he kept his finger off the trigger until he was ready to fire he had situational awareness at least he kept his head up and moving around and when he got the chance to get up and move and make his way to the police he had he was smart enough to have his hands up weapon down and people want to say, oh, you know, it's it's racism because the police didn't shoot him because he's white. No, he didn't pose a threat to them. I approached the police in my situation, hand up. My other hand had the rifles broken down so they were in a giant L shape, each one. So they were seen to be completely inoperable. And I spoke loud and clear and concise so they knew I wasn't a threat. Now, the thing is, in the self-defense argument, he wasn't the aggressor. Now the aggressor can change. If those guys, if he raised his gun and one of those guys turned around and ran away and then he shot him, then he's the aggressor and he just committed homicide. Knowing the laws and escalation of force are so important. Now there's also people questioning, oh, well, he's not even from the state. Well, apparently the dude lives like 15 minutes away. I grew up just north of Oregon, right across the Columbia River in Washington. I bet, I guarantee you, I grew up knowing Washington state laws, Oregon state laws, what I can do and what I can't do in each. And uh, just like now, yeah, I know what I can do there and I can't do there. So if this kid works in the other state, but he lives in the other, he knows. Yeah, He should not have been there at all. Yeah. I've been thinking about his parents too, certainly. The night of, as well as the subsequent legal problems, I think that this might be a, it's going to be a long, drawn-out 
legal battle right now. But the kid's life has forever changed. Oh, it will never. My life has been changed, and no shots were fired, and that anyone got hurt from. Right. Um, I was just lucky that it happened in the way it did, and it happened because I was no one knew I was there in my capacity, and with you know my training and everything I put into it. Um, but that kid's life is forever changed, and people making light of it, they should be because they don't get it. Um, yeah. Yeah, two guys were dead. They were shot and killed. And people are like, oh, but he's a criminal. He's a pedophile, whatever. He did not know that during that time. Right. You cannot use that in your decision-making process to say it is justified. So there's there's no way to cut it. The situation is bad all around. And I – yeah, I posted it up on Instagram. I took – I got some of the photos i put it up on instagram and i basically advocate i said stop making light of this stop joking this is not funny there's nothing good about this this is all around bad stop the violence both sides every all of it just end it and facebook instagram twitter they all ripped it down the next morning advocating for non-violence they ripped it down that must be another mind blower we'll have to have another discussion about that sometime a couple of things before we go and i really appreciate you taking the time to be here on the adult in the room podcast and and here's the thing a couple of questions what is your favorite binge watching television program oh that's too that's too difficult Come on. <laughs> i know i can't name one but you can tell me what oh i can i can name a few i can a favorite tv show Oh no! That, I'm gonna show my nerd side. Um, <laughs> Avatar: Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. <laughs> I don't even know those shows, but it sounds uh, they're 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 amazing because they're, I mean they're cartoons. But when you look at the situations that go into them, what is actually happening? Mm-hmm. They are real life adult world and national country problems there's orphans there's murder there's countries taking over others there's genocide there's uh all everything you can imagine there's political corruption there's fights and struggles through ptsd there's animal abuse everything is in there and it comes across as like almost uh in a very informative way because the main characters they're learning and like, okay, this is wrong. That's not good. How can I see my way through this? Like they're self-actualizing through it. And yeah, it, besides just being entertaining and for kids, like the thought that went behind it was like, okay, this is this is not just for kids. No. Sounds like it since you're an adult. Favorite candy? Chocolate. What kind of chocolate? Is there a particular like Snickers bar? Chocolate. Cho- any, okay. Favorite, favorite <laughs> job you've ever had? Ooh. I don't know if I've had it yet. Okay, fair enough. What was your first job and how old were you? I was my first job where I was on a W2. I was I just turned 16. I traveled down to Utah for the summer and waited until I turned 16 to start working for my uncle and I was doing uh landscaping and blocks and pavers. I was making $7 an hour. Ooh. That's big Utah money. Heat. Big oh, money. I made $1,200 that summer. Excellent. And you remembered it. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, you were you a scout? A scout. Yeah. Like, were you a boy scout, not scout in the Marine? Oh, oh, a scout. Oh. Yeah. Um, 
I started off in Boy Scouts when I was young, but I, you know, what? I'm not too sure what happened, but I didn't continue with it. It's just, um, I, but I was busy with sports most of the time. I know that. What'd you um, play? I was baseball and wrestling. Oh, good. I did some soccer too. Yeah, you look like a grappler. That's probably probably spent a lot of time uh, doing that in high school. All right, yeah, it was a good time. All right. Well, listen, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to be with me and sort of walk me through what happened May 30th in Seattle. A lot of people wanted to know. We've heard details that maybe some people haven't heard before in a way that maybe they haven't heard before, and it's all very instructive. And your observations and insights on Kyle Rittenhouse were superb, and I really appreciate you sticking your neck out to talk a little bit about that today. Hey, it's a reminder for my next episode of the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft and for several episodes thereafter. I'm going to devote part of the podcast to bringing you the real story of what happened to Mike Strickland in Portland, Oregon in July of 2016. And you're probably thinking, who is that and why do I care? Exactly. Great questions. This guy was the patient zero of Antifa's mob silencing opinions other than their own. This was before Ann Coulter, Ben Shapiro, Milo Yiannopoulos, all those guys got pushed out. Uh, All sorts of people from the college uh, campuses and that sort of thing. Well, Antifa used Mike Strickland as their patient zero. He was the first guy. And you will want to hear this series of reports about this starting the next time on the Adult in the Room podcast. Okay, this fantastic music is called Gospel. And it is an original tune by the March 4th Band of Portland, Oregon. It is the uncredited song that you hear over the credits of the movie Monsters Incorporated. Great tune, but it's rather ironic that it's the uncredited song that is over the credits. Sure. Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft Imaging by Daniel Hageman of Hageman Creative. Find him on Instagram. He's a wizard. And The Image of Me, for better or for worse, is by Brett Hilliard, Hilly Collective on Instagram. He is amazing. He made me actually look pretty good in that picture. Editing and some imaging of the Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is by 1A Cast. Adult in the Room podcast with Victoria Taft is supported by Fort Vaughn Ventures and Chivo's Backyard Barbecue of L.A. Not really, but uh, Chivo Lynn, who's a friend of mine, you know, I thought I'd just give him a little, little bump there. I mean, we'll take sponsors. You want to sponsor the program? You can sponsor the program. All right. Until next time.